Please stand for our first song, if you're able. And I invite everyone who's at the back chatting to make your way into the sanctuary, and we will begin our worship together. Let's sing The Heart of Worship. that first song is just an invitation and reminder to us that um, we're here to to remember the Lord and to focus our attention and our time on him and um, so I just welcome all of you again here to um, to be here this morning and worship together on the screen behind me is the call to worship so I invite you to say the part that says people and all out of the depths we cry to you 
O Lord, hear our cry. If you kept a record of sins, who would stand a chance? O Lord, hear our cry. But with you, there is forgiveness. We, we wait, wait for you, O Lord. We, we hope, hope in your word. Blessed be your name. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning in, in gratitude, in humility, in wonder, in whatever, whatever emotion or place we find ourselves in. We just want to, to come before you honestly. And we want to also um, set aside distractions and insecurities or self-consciousness, and we want to um, just fully present ourselves to you and fully be here with each other and with you. And I just pray that your spirit would work in us this morning to, um, to remind us maybe of things we've forgotten, to convict us of sin and draw us to yourself and, and be reminded of your love and forgiveness. And so I just thank you for, for your promised presence and um, the way that you will work in us and through us this morning. Amen. Let's sing together, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing.
last verse um, leads perfectly into our, our confession time. Uh, we're such, oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. And prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Um, we need that um, forgiveness and kind of that bringing back so, so often and so much. And I think if we take um, some time now to, to spend some time in silent confession individually and corporately, then um, we, can, we can again come to God with honesty. Um, so I'll, I'll read a confession prayer. We'll have some silence in the middle for, for personal reflection. And then at the end, we can kind of say uh, uh, an affirmation together of the love of God. Lord, our lives are dry bones. We are cruel in our words and indifferent in our actions. We confess to the Lord. Breathe on us, Lord. Put your spirit within us and make us alive. We, we place, place our, our hope, hope in you. you. Amen. Amen. Let's sing new wine together. Please stand.
let's sing Revelation song together. Um, and I think declaring these words that are based on the book of Revelation, um, it's a powerful, I think it's a powerful thing in the, in the physical world and the spiritual world to say these words and to declare them to be true. So let's sing together.
Jesus, we honor you and your name as being the most, the most powerful name in the universe. And we want to um, honor you as our king and our teacher. Um, and we just give, give ourselves to you. Amen. You may be seated. Um, I'll remind you that you can leave an offering um, in the box at the back of the sanctuary anytime this morning or you can donate online for for offertory or for offering sorry um, so now i'll just pray for the offering um, as it is part of our our worship and our act of worship together god we pray your blessing on the gifts of of money that have been given and that will be given and we ask that there will be wisdom and discernment in how to use this money to honor you and to spread your kingdom in this community locally and even further abroad. And so we just pray a blessing on the giver and the gift. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 11, verses 17 to 45. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, but this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, 
that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave cloths and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. Any kids can come to the front and sit in the front rows. Remy, Tyler, Alexa, Natalie. Nice. Okay, Remy's not going to come to the front, no problem. <laughs> All right. So we just heard a story about um, Jesus being sad, didn't we? Do you sometimes think of Jesus as being sad? Or mostly happy or mostly serious? It's kind of interesting thinking about Jesus in different ways like that. Some days we feel very sad. Can you think of um, a, sad, a sad thing that you've experienced that you maybe want to share in the microphone? Having two broken elbows. Two broken elbows. That is sad. Can anyone else think of anything? You can probably think of a lot, but sometimes it's a bit hard to talk about as well. We know that people in our families and our friends sometimes have sad hearts. And noticing when we are sad and being sensitive to others when they are sad is important, right? Like if someone's feeling really sad, you're not going to be like, hey, I'm having an awesome day. You want to hear all about these great things <laughs> happening right now? Pour sprinkles on them? Probably not a good idea. Sometimes it's nice to just be with people when they're sad, kind of meet them in their sadness. Lazarus' sisters knew that Jesus was God's son and he was able to heal people. But Jesus also wanted them to know that he cared about their feelings and what they were going through. He didn't say, why are you guys so sad that your brother died? Don't you believe that I can heal him? Like he was like, yeah, this makes sense. This is a sad thing that happened, but I can do something still amazing with this situation. So this might be hard to do with two hands, but I have two hearts here. And one represents um, maybe like our hearts. And this one could represent um, Jesus. And he wants to come close and kind of like this, <laughs> understand what our heart is going through and also meet us in that place. Kind of, if we're sad, Jesus can be with us in our sadness. If we're happy, he can be with us in our happiness. So, uh, Jesus comes close to us in our times of sadness and joins his heart with ours. Jesus wanted us to feel his connection to us. We can also do this for other people in our lives who are feeling sad. So we can think about that this week. And um, I understand that over the last few weeks, you've all been practicing the prayer together. Have you guys learned the prayer with the actions? Yeah? OK. So let's all do it together. And I'll maybe put my microphone down. We'll all say it together, OK? I'll just say it first, and then we'll do it together with the actions. Thank you, God, for creating us. We can choose, we can connect, we can create. 
Jesus continues to work in us and through us. It's incredible. Thank you, God. Please bow with me as we pray for the little ones off in Children's Church. Dear God, we thank you for the children of our congregation. We pray that as they are in Children's Church now, that they will have a great time, that they will learn new and wonderful things about you that will stay with them all their lives. Pray also for the teachers, give them the words to say. We also pray for the service. Please bless it. Pray those things in your name. Amen. All right. If you have your bulletin on you, now is the time to take it out. There's a couple things that we want to go over, as well as a couple things that we need to add. So, first off, prayer meeting, Wednesday, 2 p.m. It's going to be at the church. Uh, I'd encourage you to come. They have been great. So, Tuesday, uh, 2 p.m. Wednesday, 2 p.m. Uh, Sunday, 9.45 a.m., Sunday school, 10.45 a.m. Uh, it is Palm Sunday next Sunday, and that means that we are going to be having a soup and bun potluck after the church. There is a sign-up in the back, though, because the nature of soup and buns is that they are a very plentiful thing. So uh, you can't really make them for just yourself and your family. You always have to make it for a lot of people. So... If you know a soup that you love to make or buns that you are just great at making, then sign up on the back there. There's a couple already, but I'd encourage you to as well. Uh, also next Sunday is communion, and so I would ask you that over the week to come, if there's anybody that you need to make things right with, then this is the week that you want to do that before communion next Sunday. Uh, Sunday at 7 p.m. next week is also going to be our next music night in the church, and it is choral music uh, with special guest Bruce Moore. Uh, David is on deck for doing that one. I am looking forward to it because it's always great fun to sing choral music, and there was a sign-up on the back for any hymns that you would want. I'd, I would encourage you, I think it's still there, go and sign up. They are going to be picking some from there, so you know that the songs that will be sung as well as just over the time to come, they're going to be ones that oh, we love hearing. And so go and sign up if you haven't. Otherwise, next Sunday, 7 p.m., choral music at the church, come on out. Those evenings have been wonderful. Skipping down. Uh, over this weekend, as well as over the week to come, then there has been the Fair Family Band, who has been touring around southern Manitoba, raising funds for One Hope Canada. Uh, they're going to be at Portage Evangelical on March 29th, if you haven't gotten a chance to see them yet, at 7 p.m., so keep that in mind. Uh, skipping down, there is a phone address page in the foyer. Uh, go and make sure that that is right. Uh, please do that as soon as you possibly can. Uh, we already mentioned that, going down, da, da, da. if you are interested in baptism or membership, come talk to me. And here are the two uh, add-ons that aren't on here so far. The first is that April 3rd, uh, Baggett Chapel, 7 p.m., they're going to be having a service for women uh, that is talking about just infertility and experiences and just so you know that you're never alone in that. There's will be people that are changing, uh, sorry, that are sharing their own testimonies that night. Uh, if you are interested in going to that, 7 p.m. at Baggett Chapel, uh, there is an RSVP at the number 204-890-7860. Uh, if that is something interesting and you didn't have a chance to write that down, come talk to me. I'll give you the number. But that is uh, 7 p.m. April 3rd at the Baggett Chapel. 
And finally, Good Friday. Uh, often, I think every year, we've had our own service, but this year we're doing something different. Every year we always ask uh, the Anglicans as well as the United Church to come join us for our Good Friday service. Uh, but they have invited us uh, to join them this year instead. And so we will be going to uh, the uh, United Church uh, for their Good Friday service. It's going to be at 10.30 on Good Friday. Uh, so put that down. That'll be a great way of coming together as different branches of the church to worship our Lord. Uh, 10.30 on Good Friday. All right. Any other announcements? All right. Then, looking for items of prayer. The first is Kids Connect. I had the privilege of being here for the wrap-up this past uh, Wednesday, and there must, I don't know what the actual count is, but with parents and kids and everything, we must have crossed over into a, a hundred people. And it was, it was a great evening. Kids were so excited. I got the privilege of uh, praying for the meal, uh, sorry, for the cookies, which you guys really stepped up. Like, there was a hundred people, but we had more than enough cookies for everybody. Like, thank you very much. Uh, but I had the privilege of praying for that and just, I, don't worry, Kids Connect will start up in the fall. That's only five months away. And some of the kids were like, five months? Well, you might as well be a thousand years, 10,000 years even. It was adorable. And so we want to pray a thank you to the Lord for Kids Connect as well as for the volunteers and for the kids between now and next fall when we start up again. I... Uh, don't worry, uh, you'll be finding out more about what all went on Kids uh, Connect. Uh, Christine is going to be doing an update in a couple weeks' time. The next thing that we're saying, there are a number of teachers and students that now that it is spring break are this way, that way, and off to the four corners of the wind to have fun time for spring break. So we want to pray for them that uh, their travel is safe. We want to pray for them that it is a restful week. We want to pray for them that by the time we get to the end of it and it is time to go back to school, that they are rested and ready to go for the last couple months. So that is something we want to pray for. And the last thing on there, Russell, Shannon, and Mary. So Last Sunday, I aged 40 years, and by that what I mean is last Sunday, little baby Mary uh, had a febrile seizure, and I learned what febrile seizures are. Uh, she had a fever that was high enough that it caused her to have a seizure, and uh, first thing I'm going to tell you all about that is, is that if you have an instant read thermometer, uh, those can go out of calibration after three to five years. I learned that because when we took her temperature, it was 99, and then when the paramedics got there, it was 102. And so that's quite a difference. So keep that in mind if you have one of those. Every three to five years, they're, they're wonderful tools, wonderful tools, especially if you have wiggly children like mine, but make sure that you check them and make sure that you replace them. But... Uh, I want to thank you for all the prayer uh, that you've given us over the past week and for prayer for baby Mary. Uh, the nature of this is that we're probably going to be dealing with it every time that she has a high fever over the next couple of years. So uh, usually it just kind of fades out by the time that you hit six or seven. But at the same time, oh goodness, that was terrifying. So thank you for prayer and also, I'd ask for prayer for us as we 
navigate what this means for us as parents over the next couple years. So with all those things said, let's go into a time of prayer. Dear God, we come before you this morning in praise. We come before you this morning in praise for a number of things. We come before you this morning in praise for myself personally that we figured out what was the situation with little baby Mary. Lord, that was terrifying, but I thank you for the paramedics. I, I thank you for the doctor agreeing to see us so quickly, not once, but twice. And I thank you that we have such wonderful people in our church and community that have been praying nonstop and have come to share their own stories of their own children going through the same thing. That has meant, that has meant so much. So God, we pray for baby Mary over the next couple years when she becomes little toddler Mary, then little girl Mary, and we pray that she will age out of it one day, and we also pray that in the meantime, you give us a heads up whenever a fever is on its way so that we know how to treat it, so that we know when she needs to go in and when she's at home, and just that it will be manageable. But God, we thank you so much she is okay. Lord, we also want to thank you for Kids Connect. That was a wonderful night here in closing. It was a wonderful night of learning new things about you and singing songs and having car races. Thank you so much for the look of joy on all of their faces. And God, we pray that over the summer, the kids will remember the lessons they learned. We pray that over the summer, they will be excited for the fall. Lord, we pray also for all of the volunteers that have spent so much time on this first year of Kids Connect. Thank you for Christine. We thank you for Annette. We thank you for everyone else that put in so much time and effort Lord, we pray that they know how appreciated they are. They know that they have been doing your work. And we pray that over the next couple months, they get a rest in and that they are still excited for the fall. But Lord, thank you for Kids Connect. We look forward to seeing how it will build your kingdom over the years to come. And God, we also say thank you that it is spring break. And thank you for our teachers, the staff that work in the schools, as well as the students. Lord, we pray that as they now travel this way and that for family vacations, that it will be a wonderful time, filled with memories that they will carry with them all the rest of their lives. We pray for everyone that stays home that it is a restful week in whatever form that it takes. And Lord, we pray that when it is time to get back into it a week from now, 
there will be that energy to carry straight through to the end of the year. Because boy, oh boy, having that energy to just run, it makes school amazing. So Lord, we put this before you also. But all of these things we praise you for. And all of these things we put at your feet. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Over the last couple weeks, uh, as part of Lent, then we have been having uh, people share testimonies that are related to uh, the topic of the Sunday. This Sunday, as we heard, we're talking about Lazarus. And so I've asked Sheldon if he would be willing to share his testimony. And instead of a back and forth, he's just going to share. Good morning. Three questions Russell has been asking people. I'm going to share those questions with you right now. Have you ever experienced dryness or hopelessness in your life? The second one, how did God enter the situation and make a shift from dryness to abundant life? And the third one, since there are no dead ends in a believer's life, how does God help me to make a U-turn? Russell asked me last week to have a testimony on Saturday night. And I was so thankful he did it on Saturday night because I could just bow out. But I felt so dry and I felt so empty, I didn't even want to share. And this week when he asked me, I was thinking about it again and, and uh, praying about it. And I knew that I should say yes, not because I felt more filled than I did the week before, but because God wanted me to come up this morning and to share with you. The questions, it's not Russell's fault because this is the kind of questions we ask in church, but these questions really bothered me. And they bothered me because, well, I was going to check my time. I promised Russell I wouldn't take more than 10 minutes. They really bothered me because it was about me. And I thought, what do I want to say about me? Is, like, I'm not... I, I'm, I'm, I'm a child of God, and I am a servant of God, but it's not about me, it's about God. And I wondered, how in the world could I bring this? And I realized, as I thought about this, that these questions are about the church. They're about each one of you. All I want to do is share some thoughts about the way I want to live because it reflects on you as the church. The church is what Jesus has left here on earth to be his representative. And let me share a few things on each one of these questions, and I would like to always tie it back to you guys, because you are the church that God has placed here in this part of McGregor to be a witness and a representative for Jesus. And he has put you in all sorts of places throughout the community. Some of the people are, uh, some of you are further away. Some, uh, Tony and Astra, they come a long ways. Mark and Laura, they come a long ways. And they're the representative of Jesus, even far away from McGregor. And a lot of you, some of, some of you are in Austin, some of you are in McGregor, but you're the representative of Jesus Christ. Let me start. When I have looked 
Oh, I, I, I'm an old timer here actually because I, I did a little bit of counting and I figure I'm almost 60 years that I have attended the church. And now that's kind of subtracting the years that I was some when I was in Saskatchewan. And I tell you, 60 years is a long time to go to one church. And I'm here in this church because I feel that God wants me to be here. I haven't always felt that I wanted to be here, but I've always felt that God wanted me to be here. And so here I stand before you and as a representative of Jesus Christ in this church. I'm going to pick on the word hopelessness in the first question. A week and a half ago plus, I had a stroke, which it's not, effects aren't gone yet, but they're, at least they're getting better. And I thank the Lord that I could still walk a straight line most of the time, at least as well as, as good a straight line as I could before my stroke. And, uh, <clears throat> Something happened the first night that I was home. It was on Tuesday night. I had the most terrifying experience of my life. And I felt so absolutely hopeless and helpless that I've never experienced and I hope I never have to experience again. I had a night terror. And you think it's, it's for children. No, it's not. It's for whoever God gives a place as a night terror in their life, and he did to me. And I have never felt so absolutely terrified. I have never felt so absolutely hopeless. I have never felt like there was just nowhere to turn. And I can, I can remember it as if it was yesterday, and I can remember the terror that I went through. And when I finally woke up, and this is after calling on the name of Jesus a lot and just trying to put my hope and my, my thoughts on Jesus. And finally, when I came out of my half-sleep that I was in, and by this time I had moved into the living room of the house because I didn't want to wake Linda up, which I did anyways, and as I sat there on the couch and I came out of my sleep, I was given, God gave me a time of clarity and hope and I started praying and I started singing and I started just thanking God. The church here in McGregor, right here, I think sometimes when I look at the church, I feel hopeless. And I know most of the time I look and I see God at work and I want you to be encouraged by that, but I also want you to realize that our hope is in Jesus Christ as a church. And we need to stand on Jesus Christ at all times and stand together as a group of people. Stand together. And this isn't the kind of thing where you just, you, you just say you're together. Oh, and Bethany, I love your choice of us together, of a confession and all the rest of it. It was just, it was beautiful. It's, it's, it's just, it was just uh, amazing. Standing together means we encourage each other. Standing together means we're there for each other. We watch each other's back. Standing together means we bless people. And we also receive blessing as we encourage and bless other people. I got to move through these questions a little bit quicker. Um, how does God enter this situation? 
and change from dryness to abundant life. I don't know. Kids Connect, Russell talked about that. That's maybe one of the things that can encourage us as a group, uh, as a part of the church in this area. As I look around and I see the way people respond to the call of God in their life, um, I don't even know who I text this week, but I text somebody this week and I, oh, Ron. Yeah, I, I text Ron this week. We were texting back and forth about different things. And, and I said to him, I says, Ron, I says, I so much appreciate the time and the effort that you put into the service that you do for God in our church. And we need to do that for other people because that's going to take from the dryness in the church into abundant life, into abundance, is we need to encourage people and, and, and speak blessing to them. And I don't know, I, I, I can't encourage you enough to do it because some days we are, as a church, we're really struggling. And only as God uses you in other people's lives can that change. And we encourage people with what they do, encourage people with the service that they have here, encourage people in their walk with God. Don't be afraid to ask somebody, How's your relationship with Jesus doing? Where are you in the word these days? Like, if we can't ask our brothers and sisters in our group here questions like that, who are we ever going to ask? Ask people where they're at in their walk with Jesus. That's what's important. Yeah, it's important to talk about how calving season is going. Yeah. But then along with that, we need to say, what is Jesus showing you as these calves are being born? I, I was talking to Ken, I think it was Ken, and I said, no, maybe it was even Alan, I don't know, but I said, don't, don't you see the amazing what things, what God is doing every time a calf is born? And it's just, we got to take our work and realize that everything about us is about Jesus. It's not about work, it's not about the stuff that happens every day. It is how Jesus affects that stuff that happens every day. The last question about the dead ends. I, uh, I'm going I'm to read a verse to you first, a couple verses. In John 13, these verses just struck me because this is what I'm talking about. A new commandment, Jesus says, John 13, a new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. You must love one another, and by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's what I'm talking about here. I bought a 2004 Ford Halfton. I had never had a four-wheel drive in my life before that. I had never driven in a four-wheel drive before that that I had ever noticed. Maybe I had, I don't know. But I hadn't driven in too many trucks other than my own. I bought this 2004, and I, I believe Nolan and I, we missed Promise Keepers in Winnipeg, and so we drove to Regina to go to Promise Keepers. And uh, we took my truck, my new truck, and, and uh, when we were in Regina, something happened to my truck. Russell, the question says, how does God help us make U-turns? Well, I took that 2004 half done, and I turned down the wrong street. And I, there was a boulevard, and I made a U-turn. 
And I thought that my brand new truck was something that was desperately wrong because as I went around the corner, it jerked and jerked and jerked and jerked. And I thought, I said to, I said to Nolan, I says, what's going on with my new truck? There's something wrong with it. Now, all of you with four-wheel drives now, you realize that's what four-wheel drives do. They bounce around the corner as you do a U-turn. And I, and, and I thought about this and I thought, that's what we as a church, as we make a U-turn as a church, it's going to be bumpy. It's, we're, we're going to have to, the tires are going to have to kind of slip on the drive pavement as we go around our U-turn. Because God is doing things in our lives, and sometimes they are bumpy. Sometimes they're difficult, and sometimes they hurt. And that is the way God makes it stick in our hearts. I'm going to read a couple more verses, and then I'm going, to, I'm going to go down. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand, under God's mighty hand, that you may, that he may lift you up in due time, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. May God bless you as you continue to be the church of Jesus Christ, to be his representative in the places where you are and in as we as a group get together. Thank you. There's good challenges in there. We should take them to heart. Well, we are on to week five of Lent. There's only one, one Sunday left. Oh, goodness. Time gets away on you, doesn't it? Next Sunday is Palm Sunday, and that's, that's the end of Lent. But we're on week five, right before that. And our passage today, as you heard, is Lazarus. A passage that, strangely enough, I, I have never actually preached on since coming here. It's come up in the rotation, and I think we just always have had guest speakers, which is odd, because this is a passage that has impacted me quite a bit, and not for the reasons that you might think. Uh, we'll get to that. So if you have your Bibles on you, now's the time. Take them out. John chapter 11. John 11. Uh, we're going to be skipping a little bit and starting a little bit later on, but essentially what happens before that is there is Lazarus. He, he is sick, and Mary and Martha are his sisters. Uh, they are... Disciples of Jesus, their followers, their teacher, no, sorry, no, pupils of Jesus. So there's a connection there. They are friends of some sort. And Lazarus is sick. And so they send out word for Jesus uh, to come because they know that if Jesus gets there, then, then he will be healed. But unfortunately, he doesn't get there in time. Lazarus passes away. They put him in a cut grave, like our Lord will find himself in in a few days' time. Uh, and that's where our passage begins, with Jesus coming down the walk. And there are a couple things that we should know when we start in verse 17. The one is that it says in four days' time, that's when Jesus comes. If you think that that's a very specific number, it is a very specific number, Jewish folklore at the time, then there was this understanding that, you know, your spirit was just trying to get back into your body 
And it, after a couple days when you start to smell, then, then it kind of gets the hint and pieces on out of there. And so four days' time means, like, Lazarus is dead. There's no question about that. He is dead. If you want to put a modern spin on this, well, then this isn't a time where they're really great at healthcare, And so, you know, there are many things where it'll make you look like you're dead. Your heart slows down. Your breathing is so slow that people just assume you're dead, but you're actually not. And then maybe you come back or something like that. So maybe that's why they have that. But whatever the case is, Lazarus is dead. There is no question there one way or the other. There, this is not going to be a story of a resuscitation. This is a story of a resurrection that is about to come. Uh, the other thing is, is that it says that there is a group of people that are with Mary and Martha, and they are mourning with her. Um, we've hit on it before that this was a period of time where community is not what we think of when we think of community now. Now, you know, it's kind of a bit sad when you don't know your neighbors, but at the same time, like, that happens. Then, not so much. Then, like, Bethany, where they live, is going to be a little bit different because they're like two miles away from Jerusalem, so they'd probably go there for shopping one way or the other for certain things. But for the most part, everything you do, you do with your neighbor. Like, your neighbors are who take care of your kids. Your neighbors are who you take care of their kids. When you're sick, they're who come and they help care for you. When you have and something bad happen, they are who come and they, they care for you. And they cry when you cry. And they're happy when you're happy. Your neighbors are close to you like we would think family is today. That is just how the world worked. Not only back then, but for like, most of human history, really. It's just, once you get cars, then, then you can change things, right? Then you don't need to be as close to people around you. But for most of human history, it was like this, and it's definitely like this now. Like, your neighbors are like your family back in those days. And what that meant is that when you had funerals, then they came over. They were there, and it wasn't just like, it says they were there to comfort, but at the same time, like, we think of comfort in a very different way. We think of funerals in a very different way. We think of funerals as kind of family gets together a little bit beforehand, but for the most part, you know, public mourning happens at the wake or on the funeral itself, and then just kind of you go off to your corners. Not so then. It was a whole big affair. The community came over, and this was also a time where what it understood, what it meant to be a man was a different thing too. Because when we think of men now, we think of stoic. We think of you don't show your emotions. We think of just, even at funerals, if you have somebody that's in the audience that is just bawling, if it's a guy, then it's like a little uncomfortable. And that is unfortunate because that's another thing that is unique to now. Back then, if you were a man, you were someone who cared. That was the hallmark of what it was to be a man. You were someone who cared. Which meant that when somebody died, you were there in the thick of it. Which meant that when your neighbor died, you would cry loudly. Which meant that when your neighbor died, you would tear your clothes. Which meant that when your neighbor died, you would do whatever it took to show this family that you were crying with them. We're going to keep those things in mind. They're going to come up again in a little bit. But 
our passage begins with Jesus coming down the walk. And Martha runs out to him. And Martha running out to him, that makes sense that she'd be the one to know she is the oldest, and so she's the one that is in charge of all that's going on. Uh, she is the hostess at this point. And so she runs out to Jesus. And Jesus is probably coming with disciples and a whole, we're getting near the end, we're getting to near Jerusalem at this point. There's going to be a lot of people that are traveling with Jesus. And she runs out to him. And as she comes before him, she just, she kind of is a little snippy, isn't she? Like, Lord, if you were here, my brother would still be alive, is what she says. That is a response that both shows that she has a lot of faith in Jesus. Like, she knows. Like, if you were here, he would still be alive. But also, it's, there's pain in that. My brother is dead, and if you were here, he wouldn't be. But her faith doesn't waver. She goes on, but I know that even now, anything you ask of God, then he'll give it. That's the kind of relationship you have with God. To which Jesus says back to Martha, your brother will walk again. He will be alive again. And Martha responds back to that. I know in the last days he will rise. Here's another place where we're very different in the, in the Bible than we often are today. I think all too often we think that the hope of Christianity after we die is, is that, you know, body kind of rots, spirit goes off to heaven, party it up on the clouds. That's not actually what our hope after death is in the Bible at all. Like, the hope after death is this, resurrection at the end. You see it at the end of Revelation, right? You see it at the end of Revelation where heaven comes down, new heaven, new earth, resurrected from the old, our Lord sitting on his throne. All of the believers are raised with bodies clothed the mortal, as Paul says. Heaven as we think about it, where we're kind of often, like that at the best is a way stop to the glory of what will come at the time of the resurrection, at the time of the last things, at the time of the beginning of the glorious next chapter that we see at the end of Revelation, what is to come. And so this, Martha assumes, is what Jesus is talking about. This Martha assumes that Jesus is talking, your brother will rise, he will walk again. Obviously, in the last days when he has risen again, he will. I know this because you promised. Then Jesus goes on, anyone that is, believes in me, anyone who lives in me, they will know this. Do you believe I believe, Lord, that you are the Messiah, you are the Son of God. We don't get much of a hint here that Martha thinks that Jesus can raise her brother from the dead. We don't really get that at all. But at the same time, what we get is that Martha believes in our Lord, and she lives in that belief. And we can see it in her response. And then she goes back to the party, uh, she has her responsibility. She sends Mary out. 
And Mary is the same thing. She comes before Jesus, falls on her knees. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would still be alive. With Mary came a number of people from the party as well, we read. Uh, That makes sense. They were going with her. And we read that they are exactly what we would expect for a funeral wake. They are they are crying, and Mary and Martha are they're crying, and they're weeping, and gnashing of teeth, and tearing of clothes, like they are in the pit of them. They are just mourning. And Jesus, we read to this something amazing that I think we often just kind of skip over, that he is moved and troubled by this. Where is your brother buried? And Mary leads them there. And on the way there, Jesus wept. Then they get there. Jesus tells them to move the stone away. Martha, very pragmatic. You don't want to do that. It'll smell bad. What an odd thing to say about your brother. Do it anyway. And then Jesus prays. And this is a time where to pray is hands outstretched looking at heaven. Do this so that they will know I am sent by you. Lazarus, come out. And he does. Take off your grave clothes. You won't need them anymore. And many came to know the Lord that day. Word of the Lord. In the story of Lazarus, what we get is a powerful foretaste of what is to come. That's that's the story of Lazarus in a nutshell. A powerful foretaste, not just of Jesus in a few days' time, though there's definitely that. Like you can see all of the you can see all of the connections between the two stories, like the stone cut grave, the grave clothes left behind. There's in the story of Lazarus, you get a foretaste of when Jesus will also know resurrection. You also get this picture of Jesus as someone that truly has a command of life truly has the power to dispel death, as he says he does. We get that shown to us. But we also get a foretaste of what is to come in the big sense, at the end of all things. A foretaste of exactly what I said, like at the end of Revelation, where there's a new heaven, a new earth, and the Lord is sitting on his throne, and we're all worshiping him, and... Resurrection. Bodies clothe the mortal. Things as they are meant to be. Not just as they were in creation, but somehow better than new. That's what we get a foretaste in the story of Lazarus. Because one day, we will be Lazarus. One day, we will be raised Death's sting will be taken away. One day, one day, 
In the story of Lazarus, you get that foretaste, and you also get a wonderful amount of, of assurance that this is what's going to come to pass. But if you're anything like me, which I suspect you are, because you're all people, that doesn't mean that there aren't days where you're just terrified of the in-between, right? Like death and, yeah. Days where you can't sleep and days when you think they go away when you get a bit older, but somehow they do crop up again. And you think that maybe when you have kids and you can see that, well, now you're just terrified for other reasons altogether. That's all of us. We all have that fear. And in the story of Lazarus, what we get is even though there is this pointing to what is to come, this resurrection, even though we know that Jesus will do this, even though we know that, even though we know that we do not need to fear death, its sting is gone, for our Lord is risen from the grave, even though we know that, in the story of Lazarus, we get an assurance that that will happen again because we do fear, because we are people. And where we get that assurance isn't just from the fact that Lazarus was raised. In fact, I would say that the more assuring part comes from a different part of this passage altogether. At least it did for me. I still have these fears, the same as everyone, but this passage has given me a lot of assurance that we can have faith in our Lord in another part of it. And it's also, at different points in my life, created a lot of that fear as well. And so to show you the part of this passage that does both of those things at different times in my life, I'm going to ask you a question now. And while you're mulling on it, I'll tell you a story of the first time I came across this passage. But the question is, why does Jesus weep? Jesus knows full well that he can raise Lazarus from the dead. So why does he weep with Mary and Martha and everybody else? If anything, you'd think he would be like smirking the entire way to the tomb, like wait till they see this. That's what you would assume, right? So why does he weep with them? And while you're mulling on that, here's the story of the first time I remember really dealing with this passage. Uh, it's a camp story. I don't know how they do things at Valley View or uh, how they do at Circle Square or any camp you went to, Turtle Mountain. I went to uh, up in the Inner Lake. And there, uh, whenever you would go in for lunch, uh, they would always have a competition to, you know, figure out which of the cabins should go in first, right? Uh, did they do that that way here? Oh, I, I hope so. That was one of the best things. Uh, and the first thing you can do to get in is you can clean your cabin. But like when this story happened, I was 12, so that, that wasn't going to happen. Uh, the second thing you could do is you could 
uh, sing a song or do something creative like that. And if you, you impress the director enough, then you're having dot to go in. And that is one of my favorite memories from growing up because it's camp, right? So you have your sheltered Christian kids, your sheltered church kids, and then you also have the people that were invited from school that don't know Jesus one way or the other. And I'm not going to tell you the story that they chose to sing, but I will tell you that I'll never forget the horrified look on some of the sheltered church kids, and also they didn't get in on time. The third thing, though, that you could do is you could memorize scripture. And I have a terrible memory. I truly do. I... Up here, I just have my Bible and a bulletin and nothing else, and you think that means I have a great memory. Not at all. By the grace of God, I know where I'm going. But I can paraphrase things pretty well, but that ability that some people have to just look at a passage and just be like, oh, this, done, right? Like, I don't have that. I never have. But there was... One verse that we talked about in chapel that I had some amount of faith that I could memorize. It's from our passage today, and I'm seeing smiles come across some of your faces. I think you know where this one's going. So as I was memorizing that verse, I, I want you to imagine just this Rocky-esque type of montage that's happening. I have the tiger playing in the background, me with my Bible and swimming just above the waves or archery just right there, looking at it, saying it over and over and over again. I have my pen light that it's just late into the night, just looking at my Bible just over and over and over again, just so I can get it. And finally, I do. Finally, it has stuck. And so the next day comes around. It's lunch. Does anybody have something for me to get your cabin in for lunch? I stand up. This is how I remember it. It's probably not true, but it's better than true because it's how I remember it. I stand up. I do, Pastor. Sorry, I do, Director Mark. I do. I've got a verse. He already knows my brother at this point, so he knows whatever is going to come next is just nonsense. But I say to him, John 11, verse 35. And Jesus wept, and I sit down. I want you to notice that if you look in your own Bibles, it isn't and Jesus wept. There's no and in there. <laughs> After all that work, I still got it wrong. That is one part I can tell you for a fact is true. <laughs> We didn't go in first. <laughs> I think we were even in last because I remember the great feeling of injustice. <laughs> but those two words right there, Jesus wept. Those two words right there, those are both a great assurance and also they can be something very different. We talked in our cabin about that passage uh, and this, this very question came up, why did Jesus weep? And whether or not this was the view of camp, I doubt, uh, but it is what came up in the actual discussion we had. Why did Jesus weep? Jesus weep, wept because even though Mary and Martha had such great faith, they still didn't believe, right? They still didn't believe that Jesus could raise their brother. That's why he wept. He was so disappointed. That's a terrible way of reading this passage. 
Because think about what that does if you're a kid, right? Think about what that does. Like, what that tells you is that you can try as hard as you want in your faith. You can try as hard as you want to be even like these pillars of faith, Mary and Martha. And at the end of it, it, Jesus will just weep because of how short you come up. And again, whether or not that was the camp's opinion, I doubt. But that is what stuck with me. And that is what did quite a number on me. Because like, if that's your understanding of who Jesus is, if your understanding of who Jesus is is that he's somebody that you could try your best and he will still not just be disappointed, he will weep. And how, why would you ever have faith, right? Like, why would you ever have assurance of what is to come? Like, I know we're saved by grace alone, but our Savior is disappointed in you just by default, then why would I be somebody raised at the end of all things? Did get me to try real hard for a while, though. There's another way that you can read this passage, too. It's the more obvious reading, I would say. And it's one that a lot of people do have an issue with. Because one of the perks with the other way of reading it is because if you read it like that, that if you read it like Jesus was sad because they didn't get it, then it's, it's possible to maintain what we think of as the, the not sanctity, that's not the word, the bigness of God. What's the word I'm looking for there? Sovereignty, there we go. It's possible to maintain that then because if you do that, then, then it's possible to say something along the lines of like, we don't like the thought that anything that we would do would ever cause God to do one thing or the other. We don't like that thought. We don't like that thought because then if something we do causes God to do this, that, or the other thing, well then, you know, we're pretty much telling God what to do, right? Like who is the real God then, us or them? We don't like that. It's not a good understanding of what it means to maintain the sovereignty of God and uphold the sovereignty of God, but it is a common one. And it's one that I had for much of my life, and that's kind of what I, I assume. But the thing is, is that to put forward that an idea of what it is to maintain and uphold the sovereignty of God, that he can't be moved by anything we do. Like, that's an idea that either comes from people that don't have a lot of friends or are just not interested in having friends, isn't it? Because, like, think about the people you know. Think about your friends. Think about your family. When they cry, are you just not moved by that? Like, when they get a new girlfriend or boyfriend, don't you give them a high five? Like, when they're happy, are you not happy with them? And they mourn, do not weep with them. It's important to uphold the sovereignty of God, but if in doing that, 
we strip Jesus of his humanity, that's also a heresy, isn't it? We spend all this time, Jesus born a human, Christmas Day lives human. He's fully God, but also fully. It's both of those. And to be human is to feel with others. It's to be moved by others. It's to be It's to be enough of a man that you care, isn't it? The other way that you can read this is that Jesus cries because his friends are crying. And if that's how you take it instead, then think about what that says. If the reason that Jesus cried in the first place is because he had such a low opinion of these two heroes of the faith, then how could you ever have any amount of faith that you would be raised at the end of all things? But if instead he cried because his friends were hurting, he wept because his friends were hurting, even though he knew what was to come, he still wept because they were weeping. I can have faith that that God will remember me at the end of all things. I can have faith that that God who cares so much that he even weeps with us when we are sad. When the time comes at the final trumpet, heaven comes down, a new heaven and a new earth, our Lord on his throne. And the resurrection comes with bodies clothed immortal. I can have faith that if my Lord cares for me that much, that I will see you all on that day. This is a passage that has been both an assurance and also the exact opposite of that. And so I'm happy I get to talk about it today because when you are happy, our Lord is happy. When you cry, he cries. And when you mourn, he weeps with you. He is man enough to care. So remember that next time it's late at night. Our Lord is a Lord who cares. Amen. Thank you for that encouragement, Pastor Russell. Please stand as we sing our closing song, which the Holy Spirit helped with choosing because even some of the same words that you used in your sermon are in this song. Um, we'll sing verses one and two in choruses and then pause for the benediction and then sing the last verse in chorus together.
All right. Uh, again, if you're interested in doing super buns, the sign-up is on the back. I'd encourage you to do that. Uh, for our benediction, we turn to the book of Numbers. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Go now and serve our wonderful God. Perfect submission.